Well, good morning. We're going to talk about man stuff here a little bit to get us started. And speaking of that, a gentleman knows his way around a wood shop here, surprised Wes and our church with the, the old pulpit. I got to say, uh, it feels official now. I've been preaching behind a, uh, one of these things or whatever. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how, how often we use it. It is beautiful. It looks nice. Thank you to the gentleman that made it for us. Uh, we appreciate it. I'll try not to pound on it. How's that sound? I'm kidding. I won't. Jeez, lighten up, guys. Come on. All right. You want me to preach? Okay. Well, before we do that, I'm going to talk about hunting a little bit, right? I am not much of a hunter myself, but tis the season. I know one of our young fellas, Billy, put your hand up so people can see you. Billy took a deer. Was it yesterday? That's right. My man. Yeah. I've never been much of a hunter. I've done it a few times. It's fun. Um, I just never really gotten into it. It seems like something that I should get into. I feel like as a man, like I should want to kill an animal. <laughs> I should want to. I should want to feed my family. Go out in the woods and like stalk something and do it. But I'm just the whole guts thing. Like I don't mind shooting something. I'm not really against that necessarily. But cleaning it. That's that's my hang up. I'm. My brother would call me a pretty boy, and I, I work hard against that. But uh, sadly, that is probably more my nature than, than Wesley's over here. I'm not much of a hunter. I wish that I was, but I really respect men that are, right? I really respect men that are. More than that, I look up to him. I look up to a guy that can go out and like stalk a deer and kill it and shoot it and then butcher it. and That's just ugh, man stuff. It's good. Wes recently killed a deer this past week. And he didn't just kill it. He didn't use a gun. He used a bow and arrow, like Robin Hood. <laughs> like a man. He killed this buck, and he sent me a picture. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, yeah, man, awesome. And he, he wasn't really that happy with it. He was like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, why? Look at this thing. That's impressive. That is manly. You should be proud of that. He really did kill a deer, but, but not that deer. I don't even know if that's real. That's, that's ridiculous, right? <clears throat> Listen, you don't have to be a man to hunt, and you don't have to hunt to be a man. But if you do hunt and you are a man, you have more manliness street cred than I do. But definitely. So, I told you we were going to talk about man stuff. Wes's deer has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning, but the hunting metaphor does. We're um, ending our series on 1 Peter today. We've been spending nine weeks in it, <clears throat> and Peter is wrapping things up for us. He's writing to Christians living in a hostile culture, a culture that is oppressing, oppressing them, uh, persecuting them at worst. He's writing in conclusion, he's saying that they should seek to live differently, live differently under that oppression, under that persecution, and they should live different, they should follow Jesus and lead like Jesus. Now we're going to get to that, but I want to get back to the hunting metaphor for a second. I read this week a little illustration by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon, he's old and, and passed away, but he's a wise old man. He said, when a hunter goes out after his game, he doesn't know which way he'll go, but he doesn't limit himself in the matter. If he's stalking a deer, he may have to go up a mountain 
or down into a valley or over the hills and through the woods, right? He doesn't know where he's going to go. Wherever the deer leads him, he follows. He leaves himself free to follow the object of his hunt. He doesn't know where he's going, but he knows what he's going after. I love that. The hunter doesn't know where he's going, but he knows what he's going after. Do you? Do you know what you're going after in this life? I want to suggest to you this morning that if you know what you're going after, that will make all the difference for you as you live in this world and in a culture that is hostile to Christianity. You see, on our faith journey, it may take us places we never intended to go. That wind may take us places we never intended to go too. In our faith journey, the Lord might take us places we never imagined. Sometimes it will be good, beautiful places. Other times, other times it will be hard and difficult. Knowing what we're going after will help sustain us in the good and difficult times. There are a lot of things we should go after in this life, but Peter writes to remind Christians that we should be going after, what do you think? The Sunday school answer is Jesus, right? If that's what you're thinking, you're not wrong. It's a little bit more simplistic than what Peter says. Peter says that what we should be going after in this life, it differs based upon where we're at in our faith journey. He says to the elders, the spiritually mature, that we should be going after leadership. He's going to find what that is, and it looks different from what the world says it is. And then to the young believers, the, the spiritually immature, the new, fresh believers in Christ, he says that we should be going after following. Following more spiritually mature, following Jesus. And that's today's big idea before we read the text. Live different, lead and follow like Jesus. So let's read it together from 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, as you're turning there in your Bibles or on your phones, it'll be on the screen as well. Starting in verse 1. Peter says this, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty right hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the glory, or the power to him be power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, 
encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, he's talking about the church, chosen together with you, sends her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. If you go back to the Greek there, that last phrase in verse 14, greet one, greet one another with a kiss of love. It says except during COVID. Didn't make it into the English translations, but it is there. A tough crowd today. All right. Firstly, Peter writes to elders. He writes to elders. The word elder here can mean a couple of things, okay? He can, it, it can refer to older people, typically men, but not just men, the spiritually mature, and it can also refer to the leaders of the church. When we're thinking about leadership in the church, leaders in the church don't necessarily have to be old, but they do need to be spiritually mature. And that's who Peter addresses here, the spiritually mature in Jesus. He writes specifically to the men in the church leadership position of elder. But if you're not an elder, don't check out on me here this morning, okay? This is a message to the spiritually mature about leadership. Leadership takes a lot of different forms, not just eldership, right? If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt or uncle, brother or sister, there's leadership implications for, for you here within the family. And in the secular world as well, whether you're an employer or employee or a boss, a teacher, coach, politician, board member, the word here about leadership and the spiritually mature is applicable as well. So listen up. And then obviously he teaches to or he talks to the, the church as well, to the elders, the teachers like myself and Wes, and the Sunday school teachers in the back teaching our children right now, small group leaders, man, management team members, those who steward our finances, the trustees who make sure our facilities are in ship shop, ship shape, order. This word is for all of us. The spiritually mature who have leadership potential and people who are under, under us. Peter writes to tell us what we should be going after, like that hunter. What should we be going after? And no surprise, it's different than what the world has to say about leadership. The world says that we should pick our team. Pick the team you want to lead, right? The qualified, the gifted, the strong, the successful, the experts. Surround yourself with, with people that need little oversight, that make you look good, and that increase your profit, right? Peter gives us a different word about what Christian leaders should be on the hunt for. He says we don't get to pick our team. <clears throat> we should look for those that God has put around us, seek to lead them. More specifically from the text, Peter tells the spiritually mature, he says we don't get to choose on our, who's on our team. He says we need to be faithful to those to lead those who God has put under our care. I also want to note here what Peter says about leadership, how he defines it. He defines leadership as care and watchful oversight. I think sometimes when we talk about leadership, we can get really uh, intimidated. We think about like a suit and a power tie and a resolute desk and vetoing laws and, you know, man stuff again. Sorry, that, that's sexist. Women can do that as well. We get intimidated by the word leadership. We think about that stuff, but Peter boils leadership down here in the kingdom to care and watchful oversight. It means all of us can do this. Each and every one of us is capable of leading, like Jesus, one degree or another. He says if you're a Christian, you should be on the lookout for those under your care. 
Be willing to care for them. He defines for us also who these people are in verse 5. He calls them the young. The young. And here again is with the term elder. It doesn't necessarily mean old. Young doesn't necessarily mean young in age. But it can also mean young in faith. The spiritually immature. When we're talking about leadership, you might be thinking, okay, we should want to be in leadership. I thought you said this was a message about living different. How is that different from the world? Everybody wants to be a leader. We don't want to follow people. We want to be followed. We want to be influencers, right? We want people to follow us. We want to lead them. How is this different than the world? Well, leadership in the world, there's a ladder to climb. And as you climb higher and higher, you're looking to gather more people to serve you. Peter says, not so in the kingdom. He says, leadership in the kingdom is not about getting people to serve you. It's about learning to care and serve those that God has placed under you. So again, Peter says, if you're growing in Jesus, you should be on the hunt for the people God has placed in your life under you, a few steps behind you in your faith. If you've reached a certain level of maturity, you should be willing, watchful, seeking to lead and care for those whom God has placed under you. And some of you might hear that. You say, okay, a certain level of maturity. I'm out, all right? I'm not that mature. I'm really green in my faith. I can't take care of myself, let alone anybody else. I just started this Jesus thing. Or I've been in Jesus for a while, but I'm still addicted to stuff. I still struggle. You want me to care for others? You want me to lead others? I can't do that. And if we were operating by the world standards, that would be true. The world says you can't lead until you've got some degree. You've become an expert, right? We love experts. Don't talk to me about that unless you got three letters behind your name that says you're qualified to do so. That is not what leadership looks like in the kingdom. God says as soon as you begin the faith journey, as soon as you start the relationship with Jesus, you don't pray a prayer and then go on about your life. There's a beginning. You can pray a prayer. You enter into Jesus, repentance, faith, that sort of stuff. You began the relationship and then you continue. If you've started down that process, God expects you to lead from that very moment. He says, I've equipped you. I've put my spirit inside of you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead takes up residence within you. You are equipped now to lead, to care, and God expects that you would. It's not explicit here, but in verse 2, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. If you have someone under your care, God expects you to be a shepherd. doesn't matter how mature you are in Christ. Leadership in the kingdom is not limited by your knowledge or know-how. It's not. Quite the opposite. God expects that you will be willing to, watchful, looking for opportunities to serve, lead, and care for your brothers and sisters who are just a little bit behind you in faith. See, the only requirement for leadership in God's kingdom is that you are one step ahead of the person you're trying to lead, care for, look out for. So with that definition, hopefully, you can think of a few people that are under your care spiritually. If you're a parent, hopefully you're thinking of your children. You are the primary shepherd in your child's life. Not the government, not even the church. That's your responsibility. God wants you to lead, to shepherd, to care, to guard, to guide your children. So you don't have children. Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle. You're thinking of a nephew. 
If you're an employee, you're thinking of coworkers or your boss, you're thinking of your employees. You're a teacher, you're a coach, you're thinking of, of your students. Or here's another unique one that it's unique and it's not weird. It's actually more common than, than you might think. Maybe you're a child and you've recently began the journey with Jesus, but you're the only one in your family. Your parents aren't there yet. In that scenario, it's a little bit of a role reversal, but your parents would be under your shepherding care because you're just a little bit further out in front of them than they are. If you're tracking with me, hopefully you can think of some people that God has placed under your spiritual care. God expects you to lead, to shepherd, to care. That's my point I want to make here, and I think that's what Peter is making. It's not just for elders. He says if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter how old you are in the faith, how mature you are, God wants you to be on the lookout for the people under you, behind you, around you, that you can care for. He expects you to shepherd them, to guard, to guide them in spiritual matters. Now you may be wondering, well, what exactly does that look like? What should I be going after like that hunter? What should I be going after when I'm, when I'm trying to lead like Jesus? What does God want me, how, how does this look like? And Peter outlines it for us. He says, when you lead, when you care like Jesus, do it selflessly. So he says in verse 2, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. In your watchful care, he says, your concern should not be to gain or profit from the individual under your care. This is so different than our world. We want to cozy up the people that are going to help us, advance our career, give us more power, make us more wealthy. He says, no, 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 you don't get to pick your team. You don't get to pick your team. Look out for the weak. Come under people. Help them look more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal. Lead them. Build them up in Christ-likeness. Care for them with a concern for their interests over and above your own. Think about what they need, what they want, more than you think about yourself. Do it selflessly. Secondly, he says, when you lead and care for those under you, do so gently. Some of you, this comes naturally. For some of us, gentleness, we're growing in that. Verse 3 says, you shouldn't lord over those entrusted to you. In the ESV, it says, don't domineer over those under your care in your charge. As you care for those a few steps behind you in your faith, remember what it was like when you were, there, when you were where they were. Give grace when they fail. Remember, God expects you to act your age. That's a challenge, and it's also an incredibly gracious thing. If the person you're caring for is four years old in the faith, and they're acting like a four-year-old, be gentle, instruct, discipline like you would a four-year-old. They don't know any better. Come alongside, be gentle, treat them like a four-year-old, not like a 40-year-old. Be gentle in your care. Thirdly, when you lead and care for those a few steps behind you on your faith journey, do so with actions as much, sometimes more than, with your words. Verse 3 says that we should lead and care for others by our example. The best way I can illustrate this is with coaching. I had a coach in high school that would yell at us occasionally. Sometimes we get in trouble and he'd make us run. And not always, but a lot of the time, he ran with us. A lot of the things that he asked us to do, he did with us, alongside us. I had another coach who only ever yelled at us. I can tell you one of those gentlemen I respected 
and he had my ear. The other, di- I did not, the other did not, and you know which one it is. In your care for those under you, lead by example. Lead by example. You should be able to say like Paul, I'm not perfect, but follow me as I follow Christ. That's the fourth one. And that's the key. If you're going to care for those a few steps behind you in your faith and lead them, then you first need to become a follower yourself. Peter says lead by following. In verse 4, he says, Your chief concern should not be to serve your neighbor. It should be to serve your God. He's the one that's going to be handing out the rewards at the end of all of this. Live to follow him as you care for those that he has placed under your care. Peter then shifts gears. He's talking to the spiritually mature, and now he shifts gears. Now he starts talking to the young. Again, these are young people in age and also those who are, those who are young or fresh in their faith. To those folks, in verse 5, he says that you should be hunting for, for leaders, not for followers. You should be making it your point to follow well. He says, if you're young in age or in faith, put yourself under someone more mature than you. Submit yourself. Subject yourselves to an elder. Someone who's been in the faith a while. Now, this should be obvious to us, but the world does not seem to get this. I read all the time about these celebrities and this new parenting strategy. We just let our kids kind of figure, they just do their own thing. I think, what, what are you thinking Children do not know what they need. They do not know what is good for them. They need parents to come alongside of them. Hopefully parents that are informed by the Bible. They know what good is. They know what evil is. They know the Lord's ways. And they can instruct their kids accordingly. I don't want to harp on youthfulness too much. Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. I'm still fairly young, even though I have gray hair. I'm about, I'm 32 I'm not the oldest, right? So I don't want to bash on young people too much. I'm one of them. Young people are pretty awesome. They're energetic. They're idealistic. Not yet jaded by the world, right? That's a good thing. They're not cynical. They're zealous. They're ready to take on the world, to get after it. We want to change stuff. We're passionate. But if all that passion is left unchecked or unguided, it doesn't matter how well-meaning we are. And there are a lot of well-meaning young people in our world today. If you look at the riots that are going on, there's not a lot of gray hair in that crowd. It's young people, well-meaning. They want to change things. They want to make things better. They're going about it in the wrong way. It's because their passion, their zeal is unchecked, and a lot of it is misguided. You see, without proper care, young people, whether it's in age or in faith, have a tendency to allow their passion and their zeal to turn them into bulls in a china shop. We who are young in age or in faith would do well to go after, to make it our aim, like that hunter, to come under wise, older, more spiritually mature individuals, to give them authority to speak into our lives. We would do well to listen more to those that have gone before us and talk a lot less and tweet a lot less. We should give those who have been in Jesus long enough to see things more clearly than us the permission to guide us and correct us 
rebuke us even, according to the wisdom that God has given them. If you're young, in age, or in faith, come under some leadership, not just Jesus, but some more mature believers. So to recap, if you're growing in Jesus, you should be watchful to care for those a few steps behind you in your faith journey. Shepherd them. Guard, guide them. And if you're fresh in the faith, you should commit to live under some believers that are a few steps ahead of you in your faith journey. Lastly, Peter speaks to all of us, the young and the old. Like a hunter who knows what he's going after, Peter says that regardless of where you are in your faith journey, everyone should be going after humility. You've probably heard this quote a lot. C.S. Lewis gets the credit. We're not sure if he said it or not. It's a good quote. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Being humble doesn't mean we think of ourselves as worms, right? You're not a worm. You're a child of the king if you're in Jesus, and you're a, a special creation if you're not. You're not a worm. You're a human being who God loves and sent his son for. So it's not having low self-esteem. It's learning to live like Jesus, to follow him in such a way that your concerns, your wants, your desires don't even cross your mind because you're so concerned on what God wants for you and how to serve those he's placed under you. Peter says if we want to live differently, then we need to learn to live to be second. To be open to correction, to consider others' interests more often than we consider our own. And to put Jesus' desires for us, number one in our life. We do this all recognizing that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the hunger, or to the humble. He cares for those who cast their cares upon him. See, it's only when we learn to trust God enough to cast our cares upon him that we will actually be free to no longer consider our concerns. Wayne Grudem put it like this in his commentary. He says, Peter recognizes that the greatest barrier to putting others and God first is this concern. But if I don't care for myself, who will? Who will? The answer is that God himself will care for our needs. He says in your journey, in your pursuit of humility, stay alert, be watchful, be mindful, be sober-minded. Why? Because you have an enemy. You were dead, but now you're alive. We don't shoot at dead people on the battlefield. We shoot at the living. That's how Satan works. He says you have an enemy who prowls around like a lion. He's patient, sneaky, he's powerful. But if we will resist him and fight back, God says he'll flee. And God will exalt those who've stood fast in the faith. Might not be in our timing, but it will be in God's. And his timing is perfect and it is good. He will restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast, as our text says. Now I'm guessing that not many of you, for, for many of you in here, those three words, strong, firm, and steadfast, are not words that you would use to describe your walk with the Lord. If I said, how's your walk with Jesus? How's it been this past week? Oh yeah, strong, firm, steadfast. My guess is that most of you would not say that. I, I wouldn't say that. 
I'm sure that many of you empathize with feeling young in the faith and spiritually immature more than with feeling like an elder. Most of our elders don't feel like they should be elders, myself included. I'm sure a lot of you don't feel like you can care for yourself, let alone anyone else. If that's true of you this morning, let me ask you this. What anxieties, what cares are you still holding on to? You see, God promises to make you strong, firm, steadfast. God created the world with a spoken word. His promises are true. He's powerful. He can do what he wants. He says he will make you strong, firm, and steadfast if you come under his control and you throw your cares upon him. You see, by my estimation from this text, if you're not feeling firm in him or steadfast or strong in the faith, it seems logical to me it's because of one of two reasons. The first one is that you're being pestered by Satan. The solution to this, Peter says, is to resist him, to fight. Some of y'all need to learn how to fight spiritually. When you fail, when you slip up, when you fall back into the addiction that you hate, whether it's binging TV or pornography or drugs or overeating or whatever, when you fall back into the sin that so easily entangles you, the one, the one that you're thinking of right now, when you do it again, you said that you wouldn't. You asked God for forgiveness. You feel like you had it. You walked well for a while and then you fell again. And Satan comes along and he says, you see, you're weak. God doesn't love you. You call yourself a Christian? Come on, man. Christians don't live like this. No, you're done. God's done with you. You're being pestered by the devil. Condemned. The Lord Jesus does not condemn you. He died for you. He died to make you a child of the king. In your fight, when those thoughts come into your mind, church, resist. Claim the truths of scripture. No height, no depth, nothing in all of creation. No evil, no power in heaven. No power in hell can separate you from the love of God. Claim that. There is no condemnation for those who walk in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. Claim that. And then you tell the devil to take his lies and get the heck out of here. Remind him. He does not get to talk to a child of the king that way. You're wrong. That's not true. Here's what's true. Now get the heck out. Go to hell where you belong. Fight. God says resist him and he'll flee. Learn to fight. Maybe the devil's got you down. Don't let him. Claim the truths of scripture. Fight. Resist and he will flee. But I'll be honest with you. It might be the devil. But there's not a devil behind every bush. We live in a fallen world. Sin still exists in your heart, even if you're a Christian, and in those that God has placed around you. If you're a Christian, sin doesn't have power over you anymore. That doesn't mean it's still not powerful. We live in a fallen world. 
There's a lot we have to be concerned about. Deadly viruses, elections. If you're a parent, you worry about your kids, culture. There's a lot to be worrying about. That could be the other culprit weighing you down. You might not be feeling strong in the faith because you're still holding on to some semblance of control, worrying about cares and concerns of this life. Peter says the solution for you is to take all of that stuff, that junk, the garbage, the cares, the concerns, and to throw them on Jesus. You concerned about COVID? A lot of people are. That's okay. That's a care many folks have. No one wants to get sick. No one wants their elderly parents to get sick. No one wants to be the cause of the death of a loved one. You may be very anxious about the virus. That's okay. Cast that care on Jesus. Give him control over your health. Do not fear. What can death do to you if you're in Jesus? What can death do to your loved ones if they're in Jesus? Folks, death is an upgrade. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm not saying we should go around licking doorknobs, right? Don't test God. Use your common sense. Submit to the authorities and what they're asking us to do. And cast your care on God. He'll care for you. If the election got you anxious, throw that care on God. Psalm 2 says that God makes nations rise and fall to his liking. He is sovereign Kings are like a pawn on a chessboard to him. He can pick them up and move them and tear them down. He does whatever he wants. Let him worry about our election and the good of our nation and our world. If your life is falling to pieces around you right now, maybe you've lost control, you're not sure where to go from here. Loved one, Jesus cares for you. Tell him about it. Pray. Talk to him. He's the good shepherd, the word says. Follow him. He'll lead you beside still waters. He'll restore your soul. It says even if you should walk in the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear. Because Christ will guard you and guide you with his staff. Sometimes it will be a staff of correction. Other times it will be a staff of protection. Cast your cares upon him. Because he cares for you. This is a really beautiful way to live your life. It's not the most easiest. It's not the most comfortable throwing your cares on Jesus, following him, and caring for those whom he entrusts to your care. It can be hard, but it'll be an adventure. Like a hunter stalking that deer. He doesn't know exactly, he doesn't know exactly the, where the path will lead him, but he does know what he's going after. Do you? Do you? Live different, church. Lead and follow like Jesus.
Let's pray. Father God, I'm reminded of the parable you said about the seed going out on the different types of soil. You spoke of the hard ground, the seed, the truth of the gospel message could not take root. You spoke of the shallow soil where the seed was sown and it sprouted up quickly, but then the sun scorched it out because the young in the faith never took the time to develop and mature. And the one that always gets me, Lord, is the one that was sown in the rich soil, the fertile soil. The, speed, uh, the, the seed sprouted and it started to grow. And then the weeds crept in and choked it out. And you told us what those weeds are, the cares and concerns of this life. Father, I pray that you would teach us to cast our cares upon you, to relinquish control over our lives, to surrender to your lordship. May you be the one who sets and guides the direction of our life. May you be the one that gives the desires to our hearts. May they be your desires, Father. And as we follow you, help us say as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Give us an eye to those you've placed under our care. Help us lead them the way our gentle and lowly shepherd leads us. With grace and mercy, speaking the truth in love. Pray, Father, that you would help us to lead and follow like Jesus. For your glory and for our joy, we pray. Amen.